Tonight, we are continuing in this series, this um, woulda, coulda, shoulda series. And if you weren't here last week, the idea of this series is kind of an adulting series, like your 20s and 30s, this season of life where it's like, what are we doing? We're not entirely sure. Um, and there's a lot of thoughts that might cross our minds, like I would have done this differently, I could have done this differently, should I have done this differently? And so it's this whole concept as a whole of woulda, coulda, shoulda. And I don't know if y'all felt this last week, but literally every single title that we're going to go through, I just feel like I'm like, story of my life. That's just how I feel about it. I feel like they're relatable and they're relevant. And so um, I hope you feel that way tonight too. But tonight I'm going to be talking about this idea of a timeline of our lives. And so I think most of you probably know what I'm talking about when I say that. Um, But if not, kind of the idea is, You graduate high school when you're 18. Uh, You graduate college when you're like 22, 23, 24, maybe 25, depends. Um, Then it's up to you. Um, Then you probably get a job where you make like really good money when you're like 25. Um, Or you go to grad school so that you can have a really good job where you make really good money. And then you're for sure getting married by like 26, like that at the latest. And then you will probably have a dog by the time you're 27, and then probably have a house around the time you're like 28, 29, and then a kid by 30, because you want to be like a cool young parent, not like an old parent. Um, This is like what we tell ourselves, what we think. Just FYI, I have zero of those things, except for the college degree. (laughs) Um, So... Just know that like that timeline that we hear, it's like kind of fed into who we are in our society, kind of who we think we should be, who our mom thinks we should be. Um, And the reality is, is it leads to a lot of feelings of failure. It feels like I'm behind if I'm not there, or I'm doing something wrong if I'm not there, where I'm supposed to be or where I should be. Um, And we're going to talk about tonight how that is just not how God does it in the Bible almost ever. Um, It's just not his instructions. He doesn't say, go get a husband or wife, a house, two or so kids and a dog by the time you're 30. That's just not the plan. Um, And so we're going to look at a story that discusses that um, from the Old Testament Um, And it's actually the story of Joseph, and we're going to get there in a second. But first, I thought I would just let you know how in this situation I am with you. I thought it would be really fun slash hilarious to count the other day um, how many weddings I've been to in the past 12 months. I just thought it would be funny. Um, Literally, my entire, like, inner and outer circle got married in the last 12 months. Almost. Um... So that's even with the four-month shutdown from the global pandemic. So really, it's like seven months. Um, And I counted, and you guys, it was 17. 17 weddings in the last seven-ish months, um, which is hilarious in itself. But um, (laughs) I just thought, what a life I am living at 26 years old. And um, it's just funny. Like, you go to those weddings, and we're like, yay, but you also kind of feel like, what about me? Like, when is that going to happen? At some point, am I going to get there? Um, And I will say, like, that is a kind of a recent struggle for me. And I just something that over the last 12 months, I have really um, started to struggle with. And this idea of, like, wait a second, everybody else is leaving and going forward, and I feel like I'm staying here. And that feels not great. It feels like something's wrong. I can tell by the nodding of your heads. Maybe you feel that way sometimes, too. And it's just a hard place to be. And to be honest, 
I did not really want to teach this. <laughs> I was like, this is too personal. I don't want to feel these feelings. I don't want to think through this. I don't want to process this. Um, but I really do believe that the Lord has something to say about it. So, um, oh, I missed one of my funny stories. Jason will be mad if I don't say it. But the other day I was getting coffee with my friend and actually I wasn't getting coffee with her. I just butchered that story. I ran into her at a coffee shop and I hadn't seen her in a couple years. <laughs> I didn't want to lie. Um, and she was like, hey girl, you've been to so many weddings lately. I saw on your Instagram. I was like, I know girl, I know. It's been a lot of weddings. And <laughs> just making like casual small talk. And she was like, you know, do you ever feel like that girl from 27 Dresses? And I was like, I almost spit out my coffee. I was like, <laughs> I was really rude, one. And two, <laughs> I just felt like that was hilarious. But it's, again, that same season of life. And I don't say this to be like, I have so many friends, because I really don't. I don't have that many friends. But um, it has just been a season. I know I'm not the only one. I follow some of you on Instagram. I know y'all go to a lot of weddings. Um, so it's just this whole idea of... Um, this thing that can be kind of hard when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s. According to Andy, it doesn't go away when you're in your 40s. It's just like, where are my kids going to go to college? How am I going to pay for it? Um, all this stuff of where we should be in our lives. So this kind of makes you squirmy. If it kind of makes you uncomfortable. It's not something you really want to talk about. I get it. Uh, I don't really want to either, but we're going to, and it's going to be great. So uh, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to tell you most of the story um, it comes from Genesis 37 to 50. So that's why I'm not going to read it to you, because that would take an hour and a half or so. But, um, so for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize most of this story, and then at the end of it, I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm going to give you a big, long summary, and then pull out some points that we can learn about how to navigate these young adult years, how to remain faithful in a season um, that maybe it's not what you want, um, or maybe it's not where you're trying to go, and what it looks like to actually do that. So the story of Joseph, if you went to VBS or Sunday school, you may have heard about him. You probably colored on a worksheet his rainbow like tunic, the coat, anybody? Thank you. Um, anyways, that's kind of what we think of as Joseph. But he was this guy um, and he had a large family. He had a father whose name is literally Israel. Um, so he's the father of Israel. And Joseph was the youngest of 12 sons. And he was the favorite, the favorite by far. Um, and his brothers kind of hated him for it. They um, just gave him a lot of heck. I kind of was the favorite, I think, as a child. Not really, but I was the only girl. And my brothers used to be like, she's the favorite. And so y'all get that if you have siblings. It's not a title you necessarily want. Um, so his siblings kind of had it out for him. Um, but Joseph also had a gift. He could interpret dreams. And so when he was younger, he interpreted a dream where he told his brothers that one day they would all be bowing down to him. And they, of course, were pretty ticked about that. They were like, we're not bowing down to you, little brother. Um, it's not going to happen. So they were mad. They're out working in the fields. Joseph is in with his dad. He tells them, go catch up with your brothers, help out in the fields. And um, he goes to them. And as he's walking to them, they see him from far off. And they're like, you know, guys, I, this is my version of this. This is not what the Bible says. Um, I just think I'm about done with Joseph. Let's go ahead and just kill him. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, that's a good plan. Um, and for whatever reason, that's how people solve their problems in the Old Testament. They just kill people. And they were like, I'm kind of over it. Let's just kill him. And so then one of the brothers is like, but, but, but we could also just like throw him in that pit 
take his tunic and regroup. So that's what they did. They threw him in a pit, they took his tunic, and they decided to regroup. And then along came some Midianites that were traitors, and then another brother was like, you know, I got a better idea. Instead of um, just killing him for the heck of it, let's sell him and make some money. So they decided to sell him for 20 shekels, which I looked up and I think it was about $200, like to what we would understand. So they sold their brother, their youngest brother, for $200. Um, and at this time, he is 17 years old. So he's a kid, but in this culture, probably more right close to being a man, um, 17 years old. And um, they sell him into slavery. So Joseph gets sold into Egypt. And we get to see God's hand in this story really specifically on the place that Joseph goes. He goes to a person named Potiphar's house, and Potiphar um, was really high up in Egypt. They had a pharaoh, and that would just, the most common comparison to that would be like a king. Um, and Potiphar is like right there with the king. He has a very important job. So Joseph gets sold there, and as he's there, he decides... Um, apparently, to work really hard. Um, in that situation, he's 17 years old. He was just sold into slavery by his own family. Uh, they've reported him dead to his dad. That was their plan. Um, and he's in this foreign place, and he has given a job. And so I don't know about y'all, but in that situation, I would be like, nope. Um, like, bare minimum at max is what I'm going to be doing here. I'm just going to kind of scoot my way around. I don't want to work hard because I don't deserve this. I literally did nothing wrong to end up here. Um, but we see in the text, um, Genesis 39, two through four says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. So Joseph is faithful in this job that he's been given. He works hard and he's elevated, he thrives. Um, he becomes second in command to Potiphar's house. Uh, he's just a hard worker and he goes after it and he gets it. Um, he does really, really well. And things are looking up in his life until um, Potiphar's wife. It says in Genesis that Joseph was apparently a very handsome man. And so Potiphar's wife decided that she wanted that. So she literally shot her shot and grabbed his tunic and said, come here. Um, and she literally <laughs> decided she was going to sleep with Joseph. That also happens a lot in the Old Testament. People just cheat a lot. It's horrible. Um, so she decides that's what she's going to do. Joseph, being the stand-up guy that he is, literally rolls out of his tunic somehow and flees um, and runs away from the scene. So he was not interested. And um, so then Potiphar's wife has the tunic, and out of, I'm sure, shame, embarrassment, I don't know, she um, screams and blames Joseph for attacking her, for sexually assaulting her. She tells them that's what happened, that's why she has this tunic, and again, Joseph is about to go back down. So he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Well, really, he goes from being the favorite right here, doing great, sold into slavery by brothers, works his way up in the house that he's in, and now he's been falsely accused of sexual assault, and so obviously Potiphar throws him into jail. So Joseph goes back down. The dude is on a roller coaster of life. Um, 
So he gets thrown into jail, and not just any jail, Pharaoh's jail, um, which is going to be significant in a second. So he gets thrown into jail, and again, he's in a situation where he had a choice. What am I going to do here? How am I going to proceed? I, could, I would have punted. I'd be like, this is ridiculous. What's the point of trying? Um, but he had a choice of how he wanted to respond to the situation. And again, we see that he is faithful. It says in chapter 39, verses 21 to 23, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's, Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So again, Joseph now is elevated. Um, he is given a position of responsibility. He has been given a position of authority in a situation that really just stunk. He's been in this situation for a long time and he is re-elevated to a position of power. Um, so while Joseph is working in the prison, doing his job, two of Pharaoh's like, most important people um, get sent to the prison or the jail for whatever, interchangeable. Um, and while they're there, they ask, start asking around about these crazy dreams that they have had. And Joseph, if you'll remember, has a gift of interpreting dreams. And so he's like, I'll interpret them. So he interprets them accurately. Um, and he says, remember me when you go back to Pharaoh, when you go back um, to your regular world. And he asks them to do that. It's kind of the first time we see him trying to like make a move and get out of his position that he's in. And um, one of the guys goes back, and his dream interpretation was that he was going to die. So that happens, and that's a big bummer. And then the other guy um, just forgets or blows him off or whatever it is, decides he's not going to follow through and letting anyone know about Joseph's interpretation. So again, Joseph is faithful to steward the gift that God gave him to interpret dreams for strangers in Egypt um, and he's not getting any reward for it. He's still in the position that he's in that kind of stinks. Um, and it says that he stays there for two more years, um, continuing to be faithful in the jail, continuing to work hard for people that are not his people. He's not, I don't, would assume he's not getting paid. I don't actually know that for sure. But um, anyways, and then it says two years later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has this dream, and he summons all the people in the land to try to interpret it, and nobody can. Nobody at all, none of the magicians, none of the people that are supposed to be able to interpret dreams can interpret it. And so then the cupbearer that works for Pharaoh is like, ah, I know a guy. And he decides to call on Joseph, who's in the prison. Two years after, he's interpreted the dream. They call up Joseph and they say, can you interpret this dream? And he interprets Pharaoh's dream accurately and gives all the glory to God. And what the dream said was that there was gonna be this is, again, all very summarized, but there's going to be seven years of famine and then seven years of prosperity in the land of Egypt and all across the area, and that they needed to prepare with the seven years of prosperity to plan for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh's like, what should I do? And he's like, I think you should put someone in charge of all of that to shepherd and oversee the seven years of prosperity and to save and to be wise so that we can use it during the seven years of famine. He's like, okay, great, I choose you. Um, so he chooses Joseph to do that job, this really huge job, and he actually becomes the second in command um, to all of Egypt, a country that is not his. Um, and it's this crazy story of 
Joseph going from being sold by his siblings um, into Potiphar's house, where again he thrives and is put second in command, and then being told a lie about him that he sexually assaulted someone, being put into jail, he's down at the pit again, um, and then being elevated into second in command at the jail, God was preparing him all this time for all these things that he was gonna do, being forgotten, and then again elevated to second in command of all of Egypt. And in this story, Joseph thrives. He's a great leader, he does a great job. He is liked by everyone and he oversees everything uh, really, really well. And then the seven years of famine come and they're prepared, they're ready, and everyone starts coming to Egypt for help. Um, And Joseph has done such a good job of overseeing it that they're able to sell food to people. And in that, um, Joseph's family comes to Egypt for help. And again, remember, they think, the brothers think that he is long gone or dead, and the rest of the family thinks he's dead. So they come for help, and I wish I could tell that whole story, but that's like a whole other message. Anyways, there ends up being this huge moment of redemption and forgiveness, and Joseph forgives his brothers um, and helps them. And it's this crazy, awesome, incredible story. And there is so much that we can learn from it, but I think there is something really, really specific that we can learn from it as young adults. So um, we're gonna look at that. The crazy thing about that story I just told you, I told you really, really fast, but that is Joseph's life from age 17 to age 30. 13 years that is covered in that small little couple minutes of talking I just did. 13 years that happened to be his young adult years, even though this is a totally different culture, um, his young adult years got kind of hijacked and his timeline got kind of hijacked. I would assume he was not planning on being sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, And I would assume that's not what he would have chosen for his own life. So we're gonna look look at what Joseph did in a situation that he wouldn't have chosen didn't want, didn't necessarily um, have any control over. So the first point that we're gonna talk about tonight is a life of faithfulness comes from choices, not circumstances. A life of faithfulness comes from lots of small choices, not circumstances. Faithfulness, I've kind of used that word a lot, um, but it just means having the character um, of one who can be relied on, one who is diligent, and honorable, and another great word in our like New Testament post Jesus day would be Christ-like, um, something somebody that is honorable, diligent, trustworthy. Um, those are the, the categories of a faithful person. Um, and Joseph chose to remain faithful and work hard and trust the Lord even when he had every reason to throw in the towel. Every single one. Um, I had a boss that used to say in almost every prayer she prayed over our team, she said, God, help make us faithful like Joseph. And it just stuck with me, the idea of faithfulness, I feel like he just portrays in a way that none of us can even imagine. We've never endured that, probably, I don't know your story, but we've probably never endured quite that much trauma and suffering at the age 17. Um, And this isn't a prosperity gospel situation. This isn't be faithful and everything will go great for you and it'll all work out. Joseph was faithful long before um, he knew what God was doing in his life. And he chose to be faithful either way, regardless if he saw better days. We can choose faithfulness in the season we're in right now, 
and still hope and pray for a different one after this. Um, and I think that's kind of a tough reality for us to sit in sometimes in the season of life that we might be in. Um, and I think some real life 2020 examples of this is you can want to be married and still maximize and love your single years. Uh, they can exist at the same time. You can want a different career and still be incredibly faithful right where you are right now and make the most of it. You can want to have a house of your own someday and still choose to maximize your season as a renter and steward your money well. Um, you can want to have kids and a family someday and choose to invest deeply in your friendships and friends' kids right here and right now and still pray and hope for those things in the future. I used to think I had to be like, uh, will myself into like perfect contentment. I'd be like, I don't want it, I don't want it. Like I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Um, and I used to think it was either that or admit you want these things and then be sad about it until you get them. And it's just not true. They can exist in harmony. They can exist at the same time. You can want things and also choose to be content and faithful right where you're at. Um, Philippians 4, 10 through 13 says something really similar. Y'all have probably heard this before, but it says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concerns for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's Paul talking, who had a life I can't imagine anybody would have imagined. Um, so that leads me to the second point, which is God's timeline is greater than your timeline. Um, God's timeline is greater than your timeline and my timeline. Um, and honestly, that is kind of a hard, harsh reality. I don't want to just skim past that and say it kind of tritely. Um, it's a hard reality. You want to make things happen and you want to make them happen on your time. And most things, a lot of things in our current culture, we can do that. We can make it happen. You can go back to school. You can do these things. But there are certain things um, that we can't make happen and that we have to trust into God's timeline and not ours. Um, and it's okay if that is hard for you or if that bums you out. I know that I have wrestled with that a lot. Because um, more often than not, God's timeline is also different than our timeline. Um, I had never noticed this before, but in chapter 41, verse 45, I'm still kind of popping all over Genesis. Um, Joseph did also get to get married. I noticed that. And when he got his new position and freedom at age 30, and we are happy for him. And um, <laughs> I know it's low-hanging fruit to like joke about marriage and to talk about it a lot. Um, but in this room, just based on the time that I've been here, the couple of years, and the conversations I've had with you girls, and I've heard it on the guy's side, I know that this is a very important thing to us as a group of young adult humans. I would say I bet 90% of people in here are not married. And if you are, that's great. We're glad you're here. Um, and <laughs> um, I would also say probably 75 or 80% of people are not dating. You're probably single, which is great and awesome. And then I would say probably 98 or 99% of people in here want to get married. Um, so it's not bad or wrong 
to want it. It's not bad or wrong to talk about it. There's no shame in that. It's just what we do with that desire, what we do with those conversations and how we proceed in the season that we're in. Um, it'd be silly just to do what I used to do and be like, I'm content until I feel content. Um, <laughs> you have to step into this stuff um, sometimes and I just know wholeheartedly that the God of the universe is ready and waiting to meet us in those moments. So, um, kind of a crazy thing. In this story, um, it's set thousands of years ago. It's a real, true story. I think sometimes when we use the word story, it sounds fake. Um, but when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, he was 17 years old, if you all remember me saying that. But I found a quote, I was looking up, like, what was the culture of marriage then? Like, when did people get married? And it said, um, marriage took place at a young age for the ancient Jews. Most rabbis proposed 18 as the appropriate age for men to be married, but it wasn't uncom uncommon for them to be younger, especially in times of peace. Young women were married almost as, po as soon as possible, typically by age 13. Um, so this dude is like at least 12 years past when he was like supposed to get married or should get married based on what his culture told him. Um, but God had a different plan and a different purpose for Joseph than he could have ever imagined when he was a 17-year-old going through all of that. A different plan than he could have ever imagined when he was 22. A different plan than he could have ever imagined when he was 26, probably all the way up until he was 30 and he got that role that he got. Um, and the idea is that God is still good, even though your timeline isn't panning out the way you want it to pan out. Um, he says something pretty bold in Genesis 50, 19 through 20. So this is the very end of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. This is the very last chapter. Um, and this is very, towards the end of Joseph's life. And he says, um, he's talking to his brothers and it says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I guess they're scared. He's going to kill them. Um, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And that's really similar to Romans 8.28 that Jason read earlier. And it's just that all things, even the bad things, um, work together for the good of those who love God who those who are called according to his purposes. Um, it's for our good and his glory, not just one or the other, even when it doesn't look good or look the way that you think you might want it to. Um, so point three is if you don't love your timeline or your season of life, it doesn't mean God's not working in it. It's not all what it means. If you don't love it, it doesn't mean God's not working in it. Um, those 13 years of Joseph's life, for lack of a better word, pretty much sucked. Like, he was in a situation that just sucked. And he didn't have a choice. It didn't have anything to do with him or his decisions. Um, he was put there. And that might be your story, be in a situation that is totally outside of your control. Um, it was actually the result of other people's sin, uh, the reason that he was there. The sin of his brothers being jealous of him. The sin of Potiphar's wife and her lust. The sin of... Um, probably the guy that forgot to tell him about the dream. I can't guarantee that one was sin. But um, all that to say, it was outside of his control. And God still worked in it. Um, 
And if you find yourself, like me, based on the laughter, I'm guessing maybe you do, um, asking those questions over the last six months, 12 months, maybe the past couple of years, maybe a lot more years than that, um, of just those hard questions of like, God, is this really, is this, is this how this is going to go? Are we really going to, is this kind of going to be how the timeline of my life is going to work? Um, am I doing something wrong here? Uh, am I missing something? Do you see me? Do you care? Uh, are you aware that this is a desire on my heart? I believe there's a verse that says you will match that at some point. Um, like, kind of bargaining with God. Like, can I trade you? I will take an injury. I will take some suffering. But if I can just have that one thing that I want. Um, and the crazy thing is that God generally works through the really crappy stuff to bring about his purposes. And that is the story that we see in Joseph's life. We see God working to bring about a good that he could have never imagined. Um, So I think just one of the main points that I got from that part of Joseph's story um, is that God is ultimately more concerned um, with the saving of souls, the saving of many lives, than he is uh, with our wants and our desires. And I don't say that to say he doesn't care. I do believe he totally cares. And he sees you and he is with you and he is for you. And he will listen to you say the same thing a million times over because that's how good of a God he is. He loves you. He wants to know you um, more than anything. But his chief goal when Jesus came to earth was to seek and save the lost. Um, To give sick people a doctor to help lost people get found and that is the ultimate purpose um, of Jesus of the cross and that's also the ultimate purpose of our lives when asked what the greatest commandment was he said to love God more than anything um, and to love your neighbor as yourself not to love your timeline and your future house and your future spouse and your dog and um, get all the things that you want that make you feel good that you can put on Instagram and make other people think you're good. Um, That just wasn't the point um, of Jesus coming. And so um, I also know that he is a God who cares and sympathizes with our desires. One of my favorite passages in Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are Yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help and to help in time of need. The story of Joseph shows us a lot, um, a whole lot. You could pick up a million things out of that. Um, But ultimately, what we see, what I saw this week and what I hope you see tonight is that um, it was the story of a life of a young adult whose life did not go the way Um, He likely thought it would or planned, but God did more in it and through it than anyone could have ever imagined um, or saw coming in the end. We learn from this story again, those points, that a life of faithfulness comes from choices, not circumstances, over and over and over, small choices. And God's timeline is greater than our timeline. And if you don't love your timeline, your season of life, it doesn't mean God's not working in it. It doesn't mean He doesn't care. It doesn't mean he doesn't see you. Um, So I have some so what's for us for that because like always, if we just sit 
and come here and listen and we don't do anything about it, it's just pretty pointless, honestly. Um, and so I would just encourage you, I think it's easy to pick up your phone or start shifting around or thinking about what you're going to eat later or something. And um, just to sit here with this, these questions um, in just a second and just to think about it and to let the Holy Spirit actually do some work in and on your heart. It's going to take longer than 120 seconds, but um, it's a good place to start. So the questions I kind of want you guys to pros- prosper, ponder. <laughs> um, <laughs> one, how do you feel about the timeline of your life right now? Don't give the churchy answer. Don't say it's great, I'm really content. No, say what you mean um, and talk about it. Talk to God about it, the God of the universe, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, in here with you in this room, not some distant figure. Write it down on a piece of paper. How do you feel about the timeline of your life right now? Just be honest. He can handle it. Um, two, what would it look like to cultivate faithfulness right where you're at this week, not where you want to be? Um, three, do you trust God with your future? Again, honest. Um, and if you don't, maybe spend some time just getting real with God about that. What areas? What do you not trust him with? What do you not think he's actually good enough um, to handle or strong enough to handle? Um, and confess that to him. And then the last one is, where are you tempted to compare your timeline to those around you? Um, and that could be anything, guys. It could. I use marriage because it's easy and I know it's on everyone's mind, but it could be career, it could be finances, it could be um, owning a home, it could be relationship with family, it could be anything um, like that. So I want you guys to think about those. And then just wrapping up, if you're listening to me talk about all this and you're like, yeah, I hear ya, um, but I have a need that just doesn't ever feel like it's been met. I want all these things and I don't know how to be content. I don't even know what that would look like. I don't even know what it looked like to talk to God about that. Um, and when you hear me say Jesus, you're like, who is that? Even if you have been here a long time, if you've walked in church a long time, if you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're still not entirely sure who Jesus is and what that means that he came to seek and save the lost. Um, I just encourage you to think about that. Maybe talk to God about that. And um, for sure, if you're willing, talk to somebody else here about that. I know about, I don't know, 20 people, including myself, Jason and Andy, that would be pumped to have that conversation with you. Um, All this stuff that I talked about tonight is important. It is important to learn how to be faithful where we're at. It's important to learn how to be content. It's important to learn how to trust God when we're in situations that we don't like, but there is nothing more important than trusting your life with Jesus. Um, Nothing. Nothing will ever be more important than sitting down and having a conversation about the Savior of the world. So I would just encourage you. We'll have our prayer team down here afterwards. I'll be here. Jason will be up here. Trayvon will be up here. Um, If y'all would just be willing to step into that conversation with us. So... I'm going to pray, and then we'll do a quick 120 seconds. God, we just thank you. Um, We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are outside of time, that you are bigger than time, that you designate time. You literally put it into place. Um, And at just the right time, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we could know you, that we could be saved, that we could have a full life on earth and an eternal life with you in heaven. Uh, We just praise you for that. We thank you that you are a good God, that you're not holding out on us, that this is not um, in 
indicative of your love, which season we're in. We thank you that you are trustworthy and you are faithful and you are kind. And I just ask that, um, Spirit, you would do some work on our hearts and our minds tonight as we just get honest with these questions and dig into your word even more after this. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.